Hello and welcome to Talking Fußball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week we're going to see if we can get all the way through this podcast without interruption. And we better hope that the DFB isn't listening because there might well be some harsh critique coming up. With me this week is pretty much an ideal guest for a show that's going to take us well off the beaten path into a lot of fan culture and sports governance issues. It is DW's Felix Thompson making his Talking Foosball debut, more or less. Great to have you on. Hi, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome, awesome. I I, I can't wait to talk with you about these issues because I feel like... um, all the interruptions in the football this weekend is is just steering us right into some of your uh, bread and butter issues. <laughs> that's a that's a very good description of things. I feel nice, <laughs> nice. Uh, this week we're going to go deep, also on uh, Felix's own SFT Köln. We're going to be talking the title race and relegation fights, but first we will dig into you know the weekend's meltdown of match interruptions after a short break. All right, here we go with talking foosball. Uh, this is usually the part of the podcast where we talk about, uh, you know, the best games of the match day that's just gone, in this case, match day 24. But this was not a usual match day in any sense of the word. We're going to be hitting up the results and what they mean uh, down the line in the podcast. But first, we really need to talk about the big issue first, which is uh, Germany's ultras versus the DFB. Uh, this is a fight over ostensibly signs and chants that insult Hoffenheim chairman Dietmar Hopp. Uh, as we're going to discuss, it's about a lot more than that. Just to give us a quick little uh, rundown of, of some of the background here, we saw multiple interruptions in play this weekend. Uh, we saw a game, which is to say Hoffenheim versus Bayern, end with 15 minutes of keepy-uppy and kickabout instead of an actual football match. Uh, we've heard a lot of pretty heated rhetoric about what's at stake here. Um, some have called the events a, a clear case of the coarsening of society and, and a low point for German football. While, you know, others think that this fight over football financing, collective punishments, and indeed even free speech are debates that really need to happen. Still others are most concerned about the questionable equivalencies that have been made uh, between insulting Dietmar Hopp and racial abuse, or between the banners with Hop in the crosshairs and recent terrorist violence in Germany. Felix, I've talked a lot. Uh, there's a lot to chew on here. Let's start by explaining how we got here. You know, Hoffenheim and Hop, they've been in the Erste Bundesliga for roughly a decade. Why is this coming to a head now? Basically, the whole story is coming to a basically to a, to a point in which Ultras feel like they don't have any other choice other than to 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 do something about the story. Uh, the background to it is that basically you are right to point out that Hoffenheim have been in the Bundesliga for more than ten years now, and I think it's uh, fair to say they're not going anywhere. Like in sporting terms, they're doing a very good job. Have to has to be said. The thing that isn't being accepted by fans is that, or the the development that brought us here. Uh, the significant development was the fact that Dietmar Hopp uh, chose to um, make official complaints against uh, Borussia Dortmund and as the FC Köln fans in recent years. In the name of that complaint, some measures have been applied against football fans, which are, in German terms, unheard of. 
the um, the 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 away end in Hoffenheim was basically networked with like special microphones to identify certain people that make certain chants so that they'll be able to be prosecuted. It's a civil rights issue, if you ask me. And as a result of that, the protest continued and got stronger and stronger and stronger. The more Hop resisted them, basically, the more Hop tried to do or to use his power, and he has quite a bit of power as a billionaire and as someone who's so anchored in his region, he has a lot of power and he made use of that to, in practice, silence, protest against him. This is something many fans here are not willing to accept. And in this process that took several years in the making, it it wasn't something that happened within the space of two weeks. But once the the collective punishment has been applied against Dortmund, I think it was only a matter of time until it gets fully escalated. Some background about that, we're talking about a um, a punishment on probation that was handed to Dortmund because of similar protests in the past. And um, nobody thought, um, yeah... I don't know what people thought, actually, but the DFB, through the previous uh, president, Reinhard Gündel, has basically promised that uh, collective punishment will be as good as gone, uh, that they will only apply in very, very extreme cases. Uh, Mr. Raubal, a very powerful man in the DFB and at Borussia Dortmund, said, told fans that you have my word that will only apply this in extreme cases, such as he named racism as one of those cases uh, back then. Um, and he used the term, you have my word for it. The fact that because of a fan protest, a, a bit a distasteful fan protest in parts, absolutely. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that the word of the DFB now means nothing. It has been broken again. And fans see this as a red line being crossed. Uh, and that's basically what got us to the point in which last weekend happened, basically. Yeah, it's it. You know, you, I, I'm glad you brought up this um, this sense of a broken promise. Um, you know, Reinhard Grindel, the sort of semi-disgraced former uh, DFB president, was the one who who said in 2017 that there would be no more collective punishments, and the fact that the collective punishment against the Dortmund fans is what really touched this off. And the interesting thing to me is how much. You know, absolute solidarity there seems to be going on um, among the, the, the various ultras groups within the league. I mean, th- the biggest example this weekend uh, was a game that did not, of course, feature Borussia Dortmund. It featured, you know, Hoffenheim versus Bayern, Bayern being one of Dortmund's ostensible rivals. However, the fan groups, the ultra groups, um, are, are sufficiently on the same page. And, and indeed, we saw protests and banners uh, at many other games uh, throughout the league that they believe that this is something that goes far, far beyond uh, whatever conflict is happening between solely Dortmund fans and Dietmar Hopp, that this is an issue of, you know, civil rights, uh, freedom of speech, however ugly this speech is. And let's let's make no mistake. I mean, putting someone on a banner in crosshairs or calling them a son of a whore are very distasteful forms of speech. However, it seems like the ultras in the Bundesliga and, you know, perhaps even beyond in the lower leagues, too, are pretty well on the same page with one another, and they believe that this is something worth fighting for. 
Absolutely, that's no, um, that's uh, absolutely the case. Uh, I think the, the the concept of this process, or the the sentiment that's behind it, or the, the the view that's behind it, goes so much deeper than any rivalry, than any hate that may exist between two clubs. Uh, you mentioned Bayern and, and Dortmund. Those are two sets of fans that have no sentiment whatsoever towards each other. They don't hate each other. They don't love each other. But when it comes to fan rights they see things eye to eye because everyone's affected by the same issues, basically. Political issues, for instance, issues of fan rights, issues of human rights. They've proven to be among the most vocal critics of the so-called modern football, of the commercialization of football, uh, of this trend that their own club is basically leading to uh, bring to the cancellation of 50 plus one rule, uh, for an instance. Uh, and they're the, they're the most vocal critics of their own club in that sense. I think there's also a sentiment behind this that basically, uh, as a matter of fact, Bayern's plans for the future of German football are very, very different than how their own fa- or their own hardcore ultras see the future of German football. And I think the way Bayern's ultras see the future of German football corresponds by, I would say, the correlation is at the very least 70-80% with the way other ultras see it. And that's basically the grounds on which um, this coordination takes place. Um, this is what leads to solidarity as well. I, I noticed also part of the- yesterday as, as part of an article that you, uh, or perhaps during the research for an article that you did for DW, you translated um, a statement from the Shikaria, which is one of the most prominent Bayern ultras groups. What more or less is the message that they're trying to get across? Uh, there's, you know, there's there's a few aspects to it, but you know, how are they framing their own protest? They've basically been saying, let's start from the beginning. I think it's important to mention that there was quite a bit of self-reflection in the way they saw things. They said that the choice of words is not something that they would usually approve of. We have to mention in this context that the word Hohenzoll, the son of a whore, is sexist. It's downright sexist. It's not even in question. Um, and they said that they've used it only as a reference to the, to the Borussia Dortmund protest, which I still think is a problematic argument because you do not use discriminatory language, uh, no matter the context, as far as I'm concerned anyway. That's my biggest point of critique uh, when it comes to the fan side of things, by the way. I do think that when it comes to the, the, the matter itself, when it comes to the, 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 the basic idea of why they protested, what's, what's the thinking behind it, what sort of idea do they have about German football going forward, that, that's where their statement really caught the eyes of many, because they basically said things that basically every single football fan can identify with. We want our club to be ours. We want our club to represent our values. And we are there every single week, week in, week out, home, away, Europe, DFB Pokal, doesn't matter where. Many of them go to the uh, second team games, the amateur. Um, they put their lives into this club. This is what ultra life is about. This is what the essence of being an ultra. It's not just about the match day. It's your whole life. And given that that is the case, um, they also want to have a say in the future of what their football club and their football in general would look like. Judging by the reaction I've been seeing from all sorts of sides of the Bayern fan scene, from all sorts of other fans in Germany, I think the general opinion 
um, the general public opinion of football fans or of people that actually know uh, what it's like to be a football fan or a match-going football fan is mostly on their side. Um, there are points of critique when it comes to crosshair, which I personally would never approve of. I think it's wrong to put someone uh, in, a, in, in crosshairs. That, 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 that's wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Having said that, uh, it also has to be said that several protest banners held by fan groups that had zero insults towards Dietmar Hopp were still met with, uh, uh, with uh, match disruptions and matches were stopped. Uh, namely, there was a match in the third division, uh, MSV Duisburg fans playing away at Meppen held a um, poem to Dietmar Hopp that says something along the lines of the rich man has power and it doesn't matter that he has the money. The bottom line is that be, even though he has money, some of us will get banned from stadiums. It's absolutely harmless and it has nothing to do um, with uh, insults. Uh, also in, in the criminal sense, I think I'm not a legal expert, but I would assume that a poem that um, basically portrays the reaction to what's going to happen in the protest has nothing to do with insults. The first banner at Union Berlin that triggered the first level of the three-level plan was absolutely harmless. It was uh, completely legitimate uh, critic points against the, the DFB. And it still applied the three-point plan. So um, once we uh, put it this way, we, the critic, uh, the, the the critic points against parts of the protest when it comes to the sexist language, which I completely disagree with. When it comes to putting a person, and it doesn't matter who, in a in crosshairs, that's wrong. But at the same time, there was also aspects of it that were completely peaceful, completely democratic, completely on par with any understanding of civil rights and human rights and with any understanding of a protest as it should be. And it was still met with the same reaction. Um, that's where the element of censorship comes, comes into play, where many fans say, listen, you say we do this, but actually even those that go your rules still are still met by the same reaction. That just goes to show to many fans that there's an element of censorship about this, which makes things even worse. And as a result of the whole thing, uh, I personally, as someone that has been covering fan culture in Germany over the last three, four years, I can't see an escalation being prevented here. I think a red line has been crossed on all sides. That's rather unfortunate. Uh, for German football, because uh, we all know that basically German football's unique selling points is its fans and its fan culture and its lively fan culture, a fan culture of participation, a fan culture of being part, a fan culture of not being a customer, but rather an active part of your club, of voting who runs your club, of voting of the ideals that basically uh, your club runs by. Um, and the development is a very, very um, negative development in my view uh, for German football and it could lead to very, very ugly places. I person I'm personally, I, I'm hoping I'm wrong, but realistically speaking, I don't think that's the case. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting. And, and I think that you're right to zero in on the danger that this controversy um, brings in in the coming weeks and so forth. One of the things that that I find particularly worrisome, and, and I don't want to, you know, delegitimize um, the, the worry that some of these folks feel, but as much solidarity as you perceive 
between fans of different clubs, and you talk about it as going down down through the divisions. This is uh, this is a, a sentiment that most fans seem to share. I wouldn't say go quite as far, but it's pretty close. People within football, uh, football functionaries, coaches, sporting directors, and even to a, a degree like high-level media people. Like I, I was very shocked to see on on the kicker um, website today a poll about what what should be done the next time there's some sort of um, you know insults uh, about Dietmar Hopp and that the, the three choices were like three different things and there was not even a choice that said nothing it was just basically assumed that this is something we have to do something about and I get where they're coming from I, you know it's I'm not a I'm nobody's pearl clutcher but I too have a lot of problems with the sort of normalization or the continuing normalization of terms like son of a whore or putting people in a crosshairs and I get where some of these people within football who deal with abuse all the time. I mean, there were some interesting quotes from from Lutz Vonenstiel, for example, who you know worked for Dietmar Hopp and likes him and has a lot of time for him and talked about how what a nice guy he is. And really, that's all that's all neither here nor there. But one of the things he mentioned about his quitting his job at Dusseldorf at the end of the season was that he said that you know Dusseldorf fans were you know awful to him and his family. They you know verbally abuse them, abuse them on social media. There's like a culture of, you know, hate towards some people within football, which they just don't want to put up with anymore. And I kind of get where they're coming from. I think that they're going about the pushback in an entirely wrong and, you know, (laughs) probably wrong-headed way. But it seems to me that there's a lot of people within the football industry who really do believe that this is a big problem and want to do something about it. I just feel like they're just searching for the wrong things in a way. Put it this way. I think um, there's a certain element about football that is uh, what they call in German uh, rough. Uh, There is a certain element of football that isn't necessarily... Yeah, there's a certain element of football that... It's incorrigible. Yeah, uh, there's a certain element of football that I can understand that people don't like being insulted. I I can understand that. It's, It's only human that people don't like to be insulted. The problem starts when there's a certain level of of thinking of whose insult matter more and whose insults and what sort of insults tr- trigger action um, i think that's the biggest issue that the general public here has with the whole thing because um, we've had in the past two months um, it's something that i've been personally covering we've had numerous racist incidents we've had numerous sexist incidents and blatant sexist incidents during games that did not even trigger the first step of the plan however when it comes to a rich influential billionaire that is um, by um, by incident or by by no incident mates with Bayern's leadership and is a sponsor of the DFB, um, then they decide the red line is being crossed, and I think that has a bit of a that leaves a bad taste in people's mouths. I think we can also I sh- I think also a line should be drawn between the hop story and the uh, uh, Clemens Tunia story from a few months ago. And the, the common denominator is, absolutely, there is a common denominator here. And the common denominator here is this group of uh, powerful men that run German football. German football is, uh, in, in management level, is more than 95% run by men. There's only one 
club boss uh, in German in, pro in the professional game in Germany who's a woman. That's Sandra Schwedler at FC St. Pauli who's doing a brilliant job. Um, and, but she's the only one. Uh, also at director level, there's a no, there's a few small cases, but generally speaking, 90 plus percent of the executives in German football are men, and they keep each other safe. Just as was the case with Clemens Tunius, the moment he apologized for his disgustingly racist remark, every single voice in German football came to his defense. We need to forgive him. People should make mistakes, should be able to make mistakes. People should be able to apologize and we should be able to move on. Not a single one of them was affected by his racist comments, yet they felt uh, confident enough to come forward and say, he's okay, he apologized, let's move on. I think the only exceptions were FC St. Pauli and its representatives that say that he needs to lose his job, and Peter Fischer at Eintracht Frankfurt. Those were the only exceptions. And every single voice in the game, including the progressive ones, including, you know, people like Friedhelm Funkel, that you would expect to say something very vocal against racism, they still stuck up for him, for his mates. And that's exactly the same mechanism that's uh, at work here. And that's exactly the mechanism that people here criticize, that people here see as so problematic. A red line uh, hasn't been crossed in the eyes of the DFL, in the eyes of the DFL, when there was a massively sexist banner against an all-female ultra group from VfB, the all-female ultra group from Heidenheim. Uh, they played away against VfB Stuttgart, and across the Kanstatter Kurve, there was a massive banner that said something along the lines of uh, uh, "Societas," the name of the ultra group. Where are your bras? With like about 50 bras spread all over the Kanstatter Kurve. That wasn't a reason even to bring uh, level one into play. Um, and when you see this, you think, who matters here? And whose profile uh, is really of importance to those at power? Um, and I think that's the biggest issue here, that Dietmar Hopp doesn't like to be insulted. I don't like to be insulted. You don't like to be insulted. I think that's generally fair enough. I think the way he went about this is uh, wrong. Uh, and I think it's most of all counterproductive, because if Dietmar Hopp would have said from the very beginning, you can say whatever you want, I don't care, I will just keep on doing my thing, keep on investing uh, Tess Gelf and I as I'm entitled to according to the certain rules that allow him to do that. I think those protests, even if they would have continued, it wouldn't have been such a big deal as it is now. The big problem started when Dietmar Hopp started making himself into a martyr, started using phrases such as, my treatment reminds me of darker times. He started using phrases such as, I'm being discriminated against. We're talking about a powerful, white, rich man that has never faced discrimination in his life. We're talking about a person that actively tried to... Uh, uh, to sort of, uh, um, they say in German, relativieren, to sort of relativize the history of his father, who was a Nazi that helped deporting Jews from Sinsheim and helped destroy the synagogue in Sinsheim. Uh, Dietmar Hopp has been trying to sort of argue that his father's actions were only due to the fact he was forced to, and that if, he, if his father wouldn't have, wouldn't have taken part in the deportation of Sinsheim's Jewish community and in the in destruction of the synagogue, then uh, he would have lost his job as a teacher. And all sorts of arguments that you say, hang on a minute, like, um, what are we talking about here? Whose word matters more here? And that's, that's, I think, the biggest issue here when it comes to specifically the hope issue. I think people received the impression that German football uh, 
is being used for the purpose of, uh, yeah, keeping this, uh, this uh, powerful men club going. And I think this is exactly the sentiment that the ultras do not approve of. And that's exactly why they, that's one of the reasons why they face so much resistance, in my view. Yep. Let's sort of look a little bit into this, uh, the, the three-step process, which uh, you've mentioned a couple of times. And, you know, as far as I'm aware, this is a process, you know, that, that referees use in order to, to justify the, the interruption of a game. It's been around for a long time. It just hasn't been used, really. Um, and as, as you say, <laughs> thinking about all the, um, you know, sexist and or homophobic or, you know, racist incidents that have uh, taken place either through chants or through banners, it certainly could have been used. Um, do you see any hope in its application in some of those perhaps more serious purposes or, or future incidents? Or, you know... <laughs> Is this is the sort of the taint of this first application of the three step process going to be so distasteful to people that like it's it's forever going to be associated with protecting a, a, a rich white guy? That's that's a good question. It remains to be seen. I, I can only refer to the statement uh, published by Bayern Munich's uh, club number twelve, the Association of Bayern's Fan and Ultra Groups. They represent a big big number of people uh, at Bayern Munich uh, in their uh, fan scene, as we call it here in Germany, and they said that uh, apart from criticizing the way and the language that's being used, that was a very, very good statement. I thought they ended their statement by saying, we can only hope that from now on, um, the DFB and the DFL and everyone's relevant will apply the same uh, the same uh, intensity of punishments towards uh, incidents of, of racism and stuff like that. And that's exactly what I would uh, what I would stand behind. Um, I to say, do I expect it to be the case? I don't. Um, I expect cases of uh, racism or sexism to go under the radar, exactly like they did so far. I'm hoping I'm wrong. I am genuinely hoping that everything I say here will turn out to be false. But the record says something completely different. I mean, I, the, the conflict between those two sides has been expressed best by the DFB's own president, Fritz Keller. He took part in a show called uh, uh, Sport Studio on Saturday night. Uh, it was an hour, inter an hour long interview about uh, many, many issues around German football. It started obviously with the hop story and he repeated the same mantra a uh, rod line is being crossed. This is a dark day for German football. Bayern's and Hoffenheim's reaction on the pitch should be commended, etc., etc. About half an hour later, uh, the journalist interviewed, interviewing him asked him um, about the DFB's handling of racist cases. She asked him, according to today's protocol, if a team leaves the pitch as a result of a racist case, she, the team could be punished and could be handed a technical loss. What's your response to that? Is there any way you can... Uh, what, what do you think about teams doing that? His response was, there are rules and we need to stick by them. And when the commentator asked him, when the journalist asked him, the rules are not made in heaven. They're, made in, they're human made. You can change those rules. He kept on sticking by those rules. That says everything you need to know as far as I'm concerned. That this conflict of interests that the DFB is 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 at only when it comes to people uh, factually so far 
only when it comes to people that are of power, people that are of influence, people that are of financial or social influence of some sort, as in Ditma Hope. If that's going to change, I don't know. I would assume not, given the past record, but we can only hope. Yep, we can only hope. Uh, yeah, I agree that I think that we're going to see uh, several new chapters in this story, uh, perhaps as early as this week, Tuesday, Wednesday. We have quite a number of uh, DFB Pokal games, uh, four games, all of which uh, feature at least one, um, you know, Traditionsverein, which is to say a club that will is very likely to have uh, an ultras group who is going to be engaging with this issue quite heavily. That's to say uh, Zabrücken versus uh, Dusseldorf, uh, Schalke versus Bayern. I think that one is uh, pretty much a dead cert that we're going to see something. Uh, Leverkusen versus Union Berlin, also pretty likely. Uh, and uh, Eintracht versus Werder Bremen. That, of course, is the game that's sort of uh, a bit funny in that their league match uh, for Sunday that was scheduled um, it has, has been called off due to uh, the postponement of, of Frankfurt's um, Europa League game from last week. Couldn't quite turn things around fast enough to play in the league, but they will be playing on, on Wednesday in the Cup. Let's probably talk a little bit about um, the actual football from this weekend boring i know i know they just played every weekend and and something happens somebody scores somebody doesn't you know just to give a little bit of um a little bit of time to um byron and hoffenheim's game i mean this this even if this hadn't been a real uh, earthquake of a game in terms of what happened off the pitch and and how that influenced what eventually happened on the pitch um you know a six nil away win for byron uh in a week where they were able to pull away from you know their their closest challenger that's a pretty big result especially considering robert Lewandowski. uh this was his you know first game out of the team they pretty much just uh you know shuffled the pack a little bit threw in joshua Tixe and bob's your uncle six nil away win i'm beginning to feel like they might have had they might have gotten this this figured out this this, this football thing uh by munich yeah, they, they, they know their stuff, put it this way. I think the whole system uh, developed by Hans Flick um, has been very, very fruitious when it comes to goal scoring. It's been fun to watch. Bayern Munich has a system uh, of taking control of games and basically deciding them in a very, very, very Bayern Munich way. Uh, that's why I think uh, Hansi Flick fits Bayern Munich in the tactical sense of the word, basically like a glove. Um, and I would be surprised if it wouldn't be handed like a long-term contract after the way the team has been playing in recent weeks. Um, I think, I think I don't remember if it was James Thorogood or my other colleague, Jonathan Harding, but one of them said that something that I thought was very smart and sort of catches the essence of how, how well Hansi Flick um, has has deployed the team tactically. He said that uh, Hansi Flick, uh, one of Hansi Flick's biggest achievements is that he developed a system that works even regardless of Robert Lewandowski. Uh, and I think we can we can both agree that Hoffenheim are hardly a side we expect to struggle in the bottom of the league. They are a solid side, um, even though they don't have their 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 best of seasons after Nagelsmann left them. But generally speaking, you wouldn't expect... Um, it, it's, not, it's not the team at the bottom that you would expect to get relegated. That makes 
Bayern's performance against them all the more impressive. Um, generally speaking, I think Bayern's Bayern Munich's football has been absolutely incredible to watch the sort of the way they kill games and the way they sort of match up with each other's strength. It's 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 been a joy to watch. Uh, I know that usually I'm the person talking about the fan cultural side of things and about the political side of things, but from a purely footballing perspective, they've been playing um, ability-wise. I think Bayern Munich are currently one of the best teams in Europe, uh, and um, it will only go on. I think Joshua Tixey is a very good example of how Flick sort of takes a player and sort of gives him credit and lets him do his thing uh, and he bears fruits. Um, Hansi Flick has been a revelation so far as, as Bayern Munich head coach and I would be very, very, very surprised if he wouldn't be handed an actual contract, uh, a long-term one. Uh, if he wouldn't, then I would assume he wouldn't be out of job for very long. Yep, yep. I, I, I mean, what would be the point of, of going for someone else? Who Are they going to get Bayern playing much better than they already are? I don't uh, think that's even possible. I know, I know, I know. I, let's let's talk about another um, big result from the weekend. Another revelatory coaching change uh, from from this season. I'm, I'm of course starting to butter you up about uh, Cologne, yes. uh, who got a big three nil win uh, at home. Now we're talking. That's right. That's right. I mean, I, I, you're going to be like a steamroller. I won't be able to stop you. Uh, they follow up their their five nil win uh, last week with another big one. This was a three nil win uh, over Schalke. Schalke, you know, we'll talk about them a little bit as well. But you know, Sebastian Bornau and John Cordoba put the Billy Goats up two nil in the first half. Schalke keeper Alexander Nubel blundered his way into a third for uh you know cologne with about 15 minutes to go um just before we crack open the cologne topic which i i think will be a lot of fun the wheels are totally coming off of Schalke right now i mean this is the second straight spanking they have received this is the third straight game with no goals they've scored just three goals since the winter break that's in in, in seven games this is really a dangerous time for this team right now, I think. Absolutely. I think Schalke's uh, form ever since the Rukunde started, uh, ever since the Gladbach win at home, has been uh, abysmal. Uh, and I think David Wagner will have to come up with solutions, uh, which hasn't been the case so far. It has to be said. Uh, there are six ga- six Bundesliga games without a win so far. Um, they've even um, struggled against, um, against a completely fallen apart Hertha in the DFB Pokal had to go through extra time to qualify. Um, and Schalke are not looking good. I mean, we were talking about them in the uh, after the Hinrunde, after the first round, we were talking about them as Champions League candidate, as, as a club that is moving forward, as a club that's been developing. Um, I still think David Wagner has some idea of how to play the game that hasn't really gone through the ranks of Schalke properly. I think it's fair to give him at least one and a half seasons to sort of imply his ideas. But the recent run, their recent run of form or the lack thereof has been very, very worrying. And I think um, David Wagner will have to come up with solutions. Um, how will he uh, pull this one off? I don't know. I think his squad is currently, um, yeah, it doesn't have the right uh, means to play the football they used to play for Huddersfield, for instance. Um, and it remains to be seen how he sort of utilizes what he does have 
and how he pulls Schalke out of it. I do think he will pull it off. He's a good coach. He's a coach that brings results. He's a coach that has a very, very set tactic and a very good idea of how to play the game, as he's proven before, also at Schalke in the beginning of the season. Um, I just think that this is a, a time of, of uh, I wouldn't call it a crisis, but it's a time of uh, poor results. And now is the question of how he and his management would deal with it. And this remains to be seen. All right. Enough Schalke. Let's talk about FC. Um, you know, just to give people an idea, how did you come to be... Infected, and sorry for infection metaphors in this time of coronavirus, but this is really, you know, in the positive sense of the word, uh, cologne fandom is an illness that people have, and you have it bad. You have it really bad. How did this happen? I have a bit of a crazy story with Elstef Um and it starts when I was about 18, um, a teenager in Israel, uh, where I'm from. Um, back then, I used to be addicted to Football Manager, the game we all know. Um, the simulation game, and um, for a reason I genuinely cannot explain, my team from 2005 until 2015 when I stopped playing, um, I was a complete addict. I used to spend eight hour, 18 hours a day playing. Like It was excessive, it was exaggerated, and it's good I managed to stop. Um, but the bottom line is that in those 10 years between 2005 and 2015, for a reason I cannot explain, my team was always Aztecan. As a result of that, I knew players from very, very different generations of this team. I knew the squad, I knew the coaches, I knew the club's legends. And that was when I lived in, in Israel. I had no aspirations to move to Germany. My family has no history of, of you know, originating from Germany. My family is from North Africa. I have nothing to do with this country, with this city. But for some reason, this was always my team. Um, fast forward to 2015, I'm after my journalism school, I'm starting to understand what do I want to do in life, and I, somehow I take part in this uh, exchange program for young journalists uh, from Israel, Palestine, and Germany, and um, they tell me that I'm going to be stationed in Bonn, very close to Cologne, uh, to do my internship. Uh, I did my internship straight afterwards. I, I, I basically understood that I'm going to stay here, that this is where I'm going to live my, 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 my next few years at the very least. And the first thing I've done after understanding that I'm staying here is move to the big city around, Cologne. The story from then goes that I uh, fell in love with Carnival first. I moved to the city a week before Carnival, completely fell in love with the concept. Then my best friend bought me a ticket to an SFC Cologne game in the section funnily enough um and which is somewhere i'm not willing to set foot in nowadays um and i completely fell in love with the experience i fell in love with the club i fell in love with the city uh the city became a massive massive part of my identity i'm an ethical member i'm traveling to almost every single game home in a way um as much as time allows me to of course and uh, yeah it is a virus it is it makes you suffer i've been through only this season, I've seen uh, derby, a derby loss to Dusseldorf away, completely abysmal game. I've been to Saarbrücken when we lost there to a fourth division side in the DFB Pokal on a massively chilly, cold night. Um, but at the same time, I've also been to Frankfurt where we trailed 2-0 at halftime and somehow managed to come back and win 4-2. I don't remember much of the day due to um, intoxication, 
but it was a very, very good experience. And this is basically Asta FC Köln. It's a club of ups and downs. It's a, it's a crazy club, um, exactly like the city. And this is exactly why I'm completely head over heels um, in love with this club and with the city. Yeah, yeah, it is a lovable club. It, it it's uh, it's 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 so it has a distinct flavor which not all clubs have, and and that's uh, that's something that you should really treasure. Let's talk about where Cologne are now. This has been a really weird season, although you know for Cologne this is a totally normal season. Leaving that aside, um, how much of this turnaround that they have experienced uh, this season? They you know obviously got off to a very very bad start and now are playing very good football. How much of it really does just trace back to the coaching change, getting rid of Bayalotza, bringing in Gistol? That's a good question. I think, generally speaking, um, the, 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 the Gistol effect uh, is a real thing. Mm-hmm. I personally have the feeling that as the FC Kern, for the first time in a while, possibly since, possibly, 100% since Stöger, this is the first time that I see a team that plays in a certain system um, but unlike Stöger, this system is very, very enjoyable. It's based on pressure. It's based on attacking football. It's based on letting uh, young talents do their thing. We can only talk about players like Ismail Yakovs and Noach Katerbach. Uh, and the, 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 the flair, the, the, the enthusiasm they bring into this team, the talent they bring into this team. Um, and the, the guts Markus Gisdol had in a situation in which the team was basically seen as one of the league's top relegation candidates to bring in three uh, youngsters in Tillemann, Katerbach, Unyakovs and let give them a run in the team, give them a way, give them a time, time to sort of um, get accustomed to the system of play that he wants to sort of, uh, that he wants to play at second. That was brave and it paid off big time. Um, the results are very, very encouraging. Seven wins in nine games. We only lost to uh, Bayern and Dortmund in those nine games, games that you would actually expect uh, to lose. Uh, and But it's not only that. It's the general sentiments. It's the, it's the general feeling around the club. It's the feeling about coming to a game and knowing that even if we're going to lose today, we're going to give it our best and we're going to give them a run for their money and we're going to attack and we're going to pressure and we're not going to sit there, sit there completely lethargically waiting for uh, clubs to score against us. I think Gistol plays a massive part in that. I mean, there were several uh, reports by uh, the local press in Cologne and by uh, the fan blog that I read uh, adamantly and vehemently. They're, they're, they do brilliant journalistic work, FC.com they're called. They're bringing lots of journalistic value into the uh, fan blogging. And they've been saying that uh, basically in the, uh, yeah, many sources have been saying that in the recruiting process, the level of detail that Markus Gisdor went into, the level of thinking that he went into uh, when it comes to applying a certain tactical system into the squad has been nothing short of, of, of yeah, top level and it shows. It shows that his preparation is meticulous. He sh- that he knows what sort of football needs to be played against a certain rival, and it brings a lot of fun to us fans. And this is what you want. You come into a game knowing that even if you're going to lose, you're going to have fun. What more could you ask for? So yeah, uh, I've already been hearing voices of Marcus Gistol, football god, or Marcus Fis- Gistol takes takes us to Europe. I think that's a bit premature, 
But at the same time, the sentiment behind it is something that as a Cologne fan, someone that went through this massive relegation uh, the season after uh, the European qualification and all the turmoils around this club, it's something that you can appreciate uh, and just enjoy in the most simple way possible. Yeah, I, I mean, not only... Uh, I, I, I'm 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 so glad for you uh, having this experience right now because Cologne is just it is in many ways probably the most psychically damaging club that that one could follow in, yeah. in the Bundesliga. Although the joy is is really big too. I mean, you you brought up those those youngsters that uh, Marcus Gisdol uh, has brought into the the, the first team. That made them first team regulars over the last you know four or five months. Um, one thing that I think has kind of gone under the radar is how well some of their, you know, their new purchases um, from the summer and, and even more recently have, have integrated. I mean, mm-hmm. I already mentioned Bornau. He was a goal scorer in, in this game. Um, but Elias Giri has, has turned out to be a real find. Um, you know, Elvis Retzbichai, who's only been there for a short time. He's played, you know, a few games and he's looked pretty much good in all of them. I mean, the king. Things are are falling into place um, personnel wise for for Cologne as well. Yeah, and you got to give you got to give them some credit for that. Absolutely. I mean, I think some of uh, Armin Fez purchases. He's no longer Cologne sporting director, but some of his purchases were absolutely spot on. Sebastian Bonau was an inve- was a seven million euro purchase. He's a, a Belgian under twenty one defender, uh, immensely talented. Such a smart player, a player that also uh, gets stuck in and isn't afraid of going into this this tackle that seems deadly and, and dangerous. He's a player that fans love to love. Uh, and the amount of talent that he has and the, the, the development that will take place as a result of him being in the team, um, I think will benefit as they have to come in the long term, even, even if there will come a time where inevitably he won't, would want to uh, progress to a bigger club, a richer club. That's that's Sebastian Bonau is possibly the the, 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 the smartest purchase as Eftekun have made recently. But as you mentioned, Skiri has been a revelation. Um, I think Fashrate, the central defender, the Belgian, has also been very good until he got injured. Generally speaking... Yeah, it, it it was a matter of of applying the tactical ideas to make this whole concept work. I think John Cordoba uh, he may not, he may not be a new signing, but the fact that he's been flourishing in the Bundesliga is also something that that is worth mentioning. Cologne has his Cologne's records all time record signing seventeen million euros, both after a season of scoring what four goals for Mainz, if I'm not mistaken. Everyone questioned him. Uh, his first season at Cologne was. Very, very bad. He was already called a flop. People were thinking of offloading, offloading him. Uh, there were voices that called for him to be offloaded for uh, the highest bidder, which wouldn't have probably been that that high. Um, but at the same time, his season in the Zweite Bundesliga and the way he started this season in the Erste Bundesliga has been nothing short of a revelation. He has the confidence. Uh, I think Gistol's system also works for him in the sense that he has this uh, ability to sprint really, really, really quickly when it comes to counterattacks and get to the other side of the pitch before defenders could even notice him. Uh, he has the ability to position himself exactly where he needs to be positioned uh, when it comes to counterattacks. And uh, John Cordoba is another symptom of how smart and how well executed this Marcus Gistol idea for, of 
playing football is at SFC Köln at the moment. And yeah, that's another example of a player um, bringing something extra as a result of the Gisdol system. One last thing about Cologne's defense. Uh, Cologne's defense is currently missing two of its main players, Rafael Cichos and Noach Katabach. The defender, uh, the young defender that has been nothing short of a revelation this season. And the replacements that had to uh, come in sort of raised questions whether Benno Schmitz is the right way, right man to, to play there. We had worries, you know, we have the likes of Amin Harit and very, very talented uh, uh, Benito Raman uh, at Schalke's attack, which could exploit uh, that. But at the end of the day, the, the, the tactical idea uh, that have had for this game has worked perfectly well uh, despite the absentees and despite the fact that the, the Schalke is the, has the better squad and the better players but Gisdol's idea of football completely nullified them even though they're not in a good period and um, as an SFC Köln fan long may it continue that's all I have to say all right, that's all you need to say because we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we will wrap up the rest of the uh, results from the week as well as maybe uh, a peek at other things. All right, here comes part two of Talking Foosball, the part where we wrap up the rest of Match Day 24. Um, I think probably the place we need to start. I'm your host, Matt Herman, by the way, here with Felix Tamsud. Uh, is is the, the the game that sort of affected, you know, the way the the title race looks right now, which is to say that there's now a five point gap up at the top. Uh, that was Leipzig and uh, Leverkusen's one one draw. This was you know two goals in pretty rapid succession. Uh, Leon Bailey and Patrick Schick both scoring within three minutes of each other in the first half. But really, that that five point gap is the big takeaway now that Leipzig have have slumped to to a draw rather than a win. However, <laughs> because this is the podcast of, of talking about things off the pitch, I wanted to actually talk about the coronavirus story uh, emerging from this game, which is to say that some of the private security personnel employed by Leipzig about 10 minutes into the game decided that it was you know, an urgent need for them to eject a group of about 20 Japanese tourists from the crowd, uh, you know, there's since been an apology from the club. They're, they've given them a refund and an invitation to see another game free of charge. Probably not going to work out if they're tourists, not in the country all the time. Just wanted to get what you thought about this. I don't think this is going to be the last big coronavirus uh, story um, coming out of German football. I mean, already the Swiss League has canceled its games through the month of March. That I don't know if that's going to mean that... Um, Eintracht's game against uh, Basel in the Europa League. I don't know if that's going to happen or if it's going to happen behind closed doors. You know, this is maybe just the first ripple of, of coronavirus stories, which may get bigger. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, um, I'll, I'll divide my answer into two. Basically, speaking about this particular case, Leipzig admitted that there was some wrongdoing there, that there was a mistake. Uh, and they, as you mentioned, they sort of mentioned, they sort of tried to get in contact with the people affected and offer them compensation. What I was missing, though, um, was the acknowledgement that this so quote-unquote mistake was as a result of racism. They called it a mistake, but nobody at the club has acknowledged that, listen, we basically ejected a group of people out of a stadium based purely on the fact that they're Asians. It's just simple as that. And once the club did not do that, 
Um, I think there's still a lot of room for improvement, and many of their fans or many of their yeah their the active part of their support sort of demand on social media that the club uh, comes to terms with this and and acknowledges that the mistake was racist in its nature and that it intends on educating the um, the stewards when it comes to the when it comes to this element of of, of their work um, the other element when it comes to generally the coronavirus I think yeah I think it's going to be everywhere here in the state of Nordrhein-Westfalen uh, we've had quite a few cases including here in Bonn uh, München Gladbach is quite an epicenter of the coronavirus with quite a few uh, instances of people being uh, being uh, uh, infected by the virus. Um, I do think, if I'm not mistaken, numerically Germany is the second most infected country in Europe after Italy. Um, and it's only going to go on and on as long as this virus, is, uh, isn't, this virus isn't uh, contained in one way or the other. I mean, I'm hardly an expert on viruses on, or medicine or anything along those lines, uh, but I would assume this, this is a story that will have its repercussions on football uh, in the weeks to come, possibly even months. I think the Antwerp game will not go ahead personally. I don't see the Swiss government changing its policies about that. I also don't see the game taking place elsewhere because what's the point? A virus doesn't know of borders. So I don't see any point of that happening. It's also not very fan-friendly. Um, so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the football world deals with it and especially German football and German football clubs, uh, the associations here. Um, and uh, yeah, generally speaking, I think Germany's uh, approach to things so far, as a, as a state, I'm not talking about as you know society and stuff like that, but as a state, Germany's reaction has been relatively slow so far. I don't feel like this issue is being taken seriously enough by the authorities here. And um, this is bound to have an effect on football as well. Uh, what will this effect be remains to be seen. But I don't think this story is going away anytime soon. Yep. Yep. I agree. And I, I feel like we would probably be lucky to make it through the remainder of the season without um, some significant disruption if it's already if it's already causing a, a you know not a big but a fairly big league in, in the swiss league to you know cut off several match days it's it's seems pretty likely something will be happening uh in in the coming weeks yeah a couple of more results from there at the top of the table we had uh dortmund getting a one nil win over freiburg pretty uncharacteristic win for Dortmund you know they're they're usually the the team that gets involved in shootouts or sometimes you know just just you know blowouts but a 1-0 win a, a 15 15th minute goal followed by a, a competent you know seeing out the match sort of performance pretty weird although not a bad thing for Dortmund no absolutely not I think I think Dortmund has have proven in the last few weeks that the sort of way they apply uh, Lucien Favre's tactics um, has improved, and that, especially given the recent additions, uh, Emre Chan and of course Erling Haaland, um, the way they've been uh, integrated into the team has been phenomenal and brought a new aspect into Dortmund's game. Um, I think the most encouraging thing about the Freiburg game for Dortmund is that is the notion that this team can also win quote-unquote ugly and not only games that end up in 4-2. Um, I think in order to be a title challenger, you need to win such games and you win, you need to know how to win them 
ugly if necessary. Um, I think, generally speaking, uh, Dortmund's style of play uh, is the sort of style that you wouldn't expect it to sort of last over the whole season, and that's why games like this, that sort of uh, where the, the the where they're in second gear rather than third or fourth, um, and they still manage to get a result. I think it's an encouraging sign for Borussia Dortmund and mostly for Lucien Favre um, that there is this aspect of his work, there is this aspect of his influence on the team. And uh, if it continues, I, I, I personally think it's a bit too late for Borussia Dortmund to become uh, champions this season. But if they'll continue evolve and if they'll continue in this development that that's been taking place in the last few weeks, I do see them going all out next season, which will be very, very interesting for the league. Um, I think next season generally is going to be very interesting when it comes to the title challenge um, on a few fronts, uh, given how things develop at clubs like Mönchengladbach, for instance, and Leipzig. Uh, it's going to be a very, very interesting... This season is interesting as it is, but I think next season is going to be a cracking practicing season for the Bundesliga. I can't wait, personally. Yeah, yeah, and 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 odd to think that that we're already thinking about next season, considering how good this one's been. But uh, I I think there might be. We're, we're getting old. We're getting old. <laughs> well, we've seen a few seasons. Uh, you mentioned uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. They they got a win uh, on the weekend, a three-two win over Augsburg in Augsburg. I mean, you know, it, this the score makes this one look a little closer than it really was. I mean, Finn Bogusen got his goal. What seven minutes before time? Things were a little bit squeaky bummy, but um, you know. The Foles were more or less the better side uh, for, for most of this match. La Stindl was, you know, looked like the La Stindl of old. He set up a goal. He scored two more. Um, I think this is kind of an interesting wrinkle in, in you know, I don't know if we want to talk about this as in the context of the title race or maybe just in the context of uh, a certain postponed match that's uh, coming up uh, next Wednesday, which you might have some interest which, in. Which what's the match you're referring to? I've heard of it. <laughs> I, well, well, if, I, I've got news for you then. Um, <laughs> they're, they're playing Cologne, and and these are two teams who I think are, are, are playing some pretty interesting football right now. Are you? Worried about Mr. La Stindl uh, heading into this match? Uh, generally speaking, a derby is always worrying. Derby, derbies are games that you cannot expect what's going to happen. I think uh, talking about Mönchengladbach specifically, the way uh, Marco Rose has sort of applied these ideas on this Mönchengladbach squad uh, in, uh, in combination with uh, the genius that is uh, Mr. Ebrel and his purchases, uh, this combination creates a development that uh, Gladbach fans can only look forward to. I think, generally speaking, you mentioned Gladbach has been, for the most part, playing good football, entertaining football. They're pressing high up the pitch. They're playing the sort of football that, again, fans like to see, that sort of make, gives fans the feeling that players are going out of their length to get the ball back. They're going out of their length to uh, link up play with each other. Um, and generally speaking, I think Marco Rosa has, you know, there was lots of hype before he joined uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach from Salzburg. Uh, nobody really knew if he's going to live up to this hype. I think he, he, he com he's completely proven that he's a top Bundesliga manager. Uh, and uh, his development as a coach is something that on sp in sporting terms, I'm 
very, very much looking forward to see. Um, on a personal side of things, obviously, Mönchengladbach and Gladbach are our biggest rivals. It's going to be a very heated derby. I'm going to be in their way end, obviously. Um, and in sporting terms, talking about the derby, I think it's one of the first derbies that I can remember that I'm coming into the game feeling that I'm, I don't, I, I'm not afraid of what's going to happen on the pitch, mostly because I know uh, that, first of all, München and Gladbach are, in sporting terms, the better team. There's nothing we can do about this. All we can do is do what Marcus Gisdol wants us to do uh, and hope for uh, a day that would work in our favour. I think, generally speaking, this is a derby between two teams that are in good form, playing good football. It's going to be entertaining to watch for the neutrals. Um, whether it's going to be entertaining for, to watch for us in the away end, I don't know. But uh, this remains to be seen. I'm certainly looking forward to it in sporting terms, which is something that I don't often say about football games, surprisingly enough. Uh, but it's going to be very interesting to see how those two ideas, that are not very different, like the idea of gigging pressing and the idea of pressing high up the pitch and trying to sort of break the other team with counterattacks is something that Rosa has been implying at Mönchengladbach Gladbach very, very well. Uh, we all know uh, the likes of uh, Turam and Plea and how they've been fitting perfectly into the system. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how those two relatively similar approaches uh, collide and who... Who, who wins the game? Um, yeah, no comment about uh, the, the fan culture element of things, but in terms of sport, in terms of the football, I'm very much looking forward to a very good game. Spectacular. Yeah, I, I, for once, I feel like that uh, the, the big Rhein derby is going to be, the eyes of Germany are going to be on it. Despite the fact that it's on a, on a Champions League night, I think there's, there's a lot of good storylines converging for that game. Uh, let's see. We got a few more games. Uh, we got a, you know, the, the, the two, the two Berlin clubs were both in action. Both ended up, um, getting draws totally different in that, um, you know, Hertha went down three nil in absolutely horrifying fashion. And, and, you know, I was horrified anyway, but then played somewhat differently in the second half. And, you know, I, as a Hertha fan, simultaneously believe that we should have won the game in that, we had more chances to score in the second half and, and, you know, hit the post with about five minutes left and feel that it was not good enough a performance from, you know, the coaching staff to merit uh, holding on to Alexander Nuri. I, you know, I, I'm frustrated in some ways that, that we came back and got a draw in the way that we did, but also very happy because it was an amazing and arousing performance from, from Matej Cunha, especially sort of, you know, trying to, to encourage this team not to give up and to, to you know play to get back into the game. Whereas Union were the team who went 2-0 up and then in the last half hour uh, of their home match, you know, gave up two goals to Wolfsburg to, you know, end up end up giving away those three points and, and only get one out of their their affair. Wolfsburg, they're unbeaten in five games, quietly taking a little stroll up the standings. I mean, they're not winning games necessarily every week, but they are getting back to their old character, which was to say hard to beat. I think I'm pretty certain now that they have a very good chance of of catching Schalke and getting into the Europa League places. Maybe they could be, you know, caught themselves by the likes of, of Hoffenheim. But I'm beginning to think that they're a bit more solid than I thought there for a while. Yeah, absolutely. 
I think Glasner has been doing a really, really good job at Wolfsburg. It has been going under the radar because it's not for for all sorts of reasons. But I think, uh, generally speaking, the acquisition of of Glasner as a young coach from Austria has proven itself so far. I think uh, Wolfsburg are a solid side. We also have to remember they're a very, very young side, many young players, um, inexperienced players, and um, the way they've been, uh, they've been, uh, yeah, they've been playing football in the last uh, few months uh, has been generally speaking uh, uh, positive and good and I can understand why despite not necessarily being the team that would win every single game um, I can understand why their fans see the, the, the sporting development in a positive light because generally speaking there is a tactical idea behind every game even if it isn't being executed to 100 percent um i think um yeah i think generally speaking wolfsburg are currently in a solid place and they're it, the feeling is that they're on the way up um it's going to be interesting to see how uh glasner developed this side what sort of acquisitions he makes in the summer to sort of give it give it a bit more a bit more beef uh but generally speaking, uh, yeah, this is another case of a young coach coming to a Bundesliga side and proving himself as far as I'm concerned. Very nice. All right. Uh, one last game, which, you know, uh, as is often the case at the end of the podcast, I, uh, I sometimes call it the uh, if a tree falls in a forest and there's no one <laughs> to see it. Did, did it. did it make a sound? Uh, this was the Mites, Mites' 2-0 win over Paderborn. Um, it did take place. I, I did see highlights of it, um, but it had, um, you know, it had some impact, I guess. I, I don't want to overplay that. It definitely hurt Paderborn's chances of, of digging their way out of the relegation fight and certainly helped Mites. Um, you know, they now have, what, a four-point cushion over the relegation playoff spot. Um, I, I was talking with um, someone in, in past weeks on the podcast about um, looking at the, the the bottom four as they now stand, which is to say Mites, Dusseldorf, Bremen, Paderborn. Um, do you see those as the teams that are going to stick around in, in the bottom four? Or do you think that the likes of, you know, Augsburg or Hertha um, are, are not out of the woods yet? I don't think uh, Augsburg and Hertha are, are, are safe. Absolutely not. I think... Um, this would be a dangerous assumption for them to think that only because Bremen and Paderborn are so, so bad, so atrociously bad, uh, this would mean that they're safe. Um, I think um, Bremen are a side that hasn't said the last word. I think, generally speaking, we can expect them to wake up. It's been very refreshing to see how at Werder Bremen, despite all the talk and despite their harsh reality of the football world, they are still sticking with their coach because they think it fits the, the they think Florian Kofed fits the identity of the club and its fans. It's been very refreshing to see Werder Bremen's fans demanding that Kofeld stays and isn't getting uh, isn't being sacked. Um, and I think this sentiment will sort of uh, uh, drizzle down to the players because they'll understand that. Listen, the coach is with us. If the coach doesn't go, it means we go. And this will apply more pressure on them. I really do think we haven't seen, we haven't heard the last word from Bremen, which would mean that Dusseldorf, uh, Hertha, and Augsburg need to start looking over their shoulders. I think the relegation battle will be closer than people might think at this stage, mostly because Werder Bremen uh, would wake up. That's my my assumption, anyways. 
um, and which will make things very, very interesting. I think Hertha especially need to be very careful because their squad is in a fragile, fragile position right now. Even them waking up against Dusseldorf was, I mean, my I watched the game in its full length, and my, my feeling was that Dusseldorf basically dropped the points rather than uh, Hertha um, basically achieving them or getting them. It would be a motivation boost, absolutely. Uh, but the bottom line is that this game has shown again, as was the case in many, many instances in recent weeks, as was the case as I was in Berlin with FC Cologne. It shows that Hertha's squad has big, big problems it needs to face. And no money in the world could change that. Should they not start taking things seriously, I can't see a situation in which Hertha gets messed up in relegation battles. I mean, in my head, it's sort of the, sort of the scenario sort of writes itself in the sense that Werder Bremen somehow pull things, pull some, pull some rabbit out of the out of the hatchet, and somehow, somehow manage to get to the uh, relegation uh, position. Incidentally, playing third third placed Heisv, which would make things very very interesting. Um, but generally speaking, I don't think the last word has been said in the relegation battle. Paderborn look as if they're as good as uh, relegated, but other than that. I think it's all it's all up there, and there will be developments. Nice. I, I, you're the first person who's shown this much faith in Bremen, uh, in 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 some weeks. So I'm I'm glad we got that voice in. Anytime. I mean, I mean, I have many many friends at Bremen, and they've been uh, the whole time. Every time Cologne wins, they text me and they say like, "Well done. I hope you qualify to Europe," and all sorts of nonsense like that. And the response I always get from them is like tears. So uh, I need to stick up to my friends. Uh, no, but I really do think that would be the case. Uh, that was the case the, the previous time they were stuck in a relegation battle with the green-white wall, we all remember. Uh, there's a new fan action, a hashtag called Aufwerden, whatever on earth that means. Um, and this whole vibe around the club that we need to rally around and, and pull things through and get things going, um, it exists at Bremen. And this sentiment will have its sporting effects, I would only assume. So that is all for this edition of Talking Foosball, which was produced, as always, by Aidan Rantoul. Really good to have you on the podcast at long last, Felix. Thank you. It was brilliant being here. Spectacular. Thanks for having me. Oh, it, it, was, it was our pleasure for sure. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at FTomsut. You can read his work on DW.com. If you want to contact me, of course, uh, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman on Twitter. Um, do subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your pods. And, uh, you know, tell a, a German football-loving friend about us. It's uh, you know, never too late to spread the word about talking foosball. Uh, our fantasy podcast with James Thurgood and Flo Reinecke. They'll be back in action later this week. Uh, this is some next Simone. I'll be back.